Welcome back to the JC Podcast. Very excited to bring you guys another episode of the JC Podcast Presents. Would like to just quickly apologize for the delay in this release. Unfortunately, university exams caught up to me a little bit, and I had to wait until those were finished to release this episode. This week, I'm very excited to talk to Jordan Hunter. He currently plays for the Sydney Kings in the National Basketball League competition. After graduating from St. Mary's College, after four years playing Div 1 basketball, I'm going to be talking to him about some NBA, including the very popular Last Dance doco series, as well as his first love of baseball when growing up in Boston. We will also be talking about his college career, where he played for the St. Mary's Gales, as well as him writing his own TV show in his spare time. So without further ado, Mr. Jordan Hunter. Welcome back to the JC Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jordan Hunter. Jordan, how's things, man? Going well, mate. I'm, uh, thanks for having me on. Not much going on at the moment, so it's good to good to do some good yeah, with you. Yeah, it's been a bit quiet. Have you been keeping yourself busy in isolation, been watching Netflix or doing other stuff? Yeah, nearly finished YouTube and um, <laughs> taking it easy other than that. And I understand you're also uh, writing a TV series at the moment as well in your spare time. How's that going? <laughs> it's, um, that's how I spend a lot of my, um, when I'm not doing um, basketball-related things, I'm mostly doing that. Yeah. And um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been something that I've done for a long time, and this particular thing I'm working on is actually came up with the idea about a year ago, so from the seed of the idea, um, which I came up with, uh, I was, it was spring break with, um, my closest mates over at college. We drove down the coast of California together, camping and surfing all the way down. I've got a great love of Lord of the Rings and (laughs) Star Wars and Game of Thrones was, um, doing really well at the time. Yeah. And so something in that vein and I came up with it then. And so from there you just kind of, plan it and refine the idea and i've about 10 pages into the 10th episode oh, and i fantastic. think that'll be that'll be it for the first season fantastic see if i can talk to anyone about it well that's a great thing to keep you busy mate <laughs> yeah it, it has been doing exactly that awesome so i just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your career uh so far so if we could talk we'll go all the way back to you growing up in uh, Boston, I understand you moved to Boston uh, when you were five or six because uh, mm-hmm. of your dad's work. Um, and I also understand that basketball wasn't your first sport. It was actually baseball, which you were quite good at as a kid. Yeah, I only started playing basketball when I was 15, 16, um, once I'd moved back to Australia, Yeah, which seems a bit counterintuitive. But um, I grew up born in Lane Cove and then... Um, moved to Boston when I was at five. So I played a lot of baseball growing up and uh, a lot of soccer. Are you and a big, then, big Red Sox fan as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was obsessed. I was <laughs> keeping weird books of statistics on the players and the other players in the league and making hypothetical trades. <laughs> it was, yeah. And I was eight years old. It was a good time to be a Red Sox fan as well. Yeah, it was. The- Finally, ending the curse. Were you yeah. at the? Did you 
get to go to any of the World Series games whilst you were over there? I was fortunate that on my soccer team, uh, one of the boys on my team, was, his dad was one of the part owners of the team. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so by a, by a stroke of luck, um, the 2004 World Series was when they broke the, the curse, but yeah. 2007 they were back. And, yeah, I went, we got two tickets to every home playoff game for that oh, run. Wow. So it was um, the stuff of dreams. Yeah, well, that's that stadium is just a national monument at this point. Yeah, like it's in, absolutely incredible. I can only um, I've never been to a baseball game in America, but I can only imagine what that atmosphere would have been like, especially during the time when the Red Sox was quite dominant. Um, yeah, back then. But um, it's got such an electric, electric venue, and yeah, so iconic of Boston and the the US. Yeah. And base, baseball is as much for the the atmosphere of actually being at the games, and it's um, hard to put into words, really. Did you ever think of pursuing baseball as a sport, or was it always just a, a hobby for you? Yeah, that was kind of the the plan. I was doing this the normal steps that you know you, you kind of climb the the local ranks, and then I yeah. was doing townwide select teams, and then you start moving towards state teams but I was only I wasn't 13 when we moved back to Australia so as that stuff starts getting more serious there are a lot of rules around um, certain pitches you're allowed to throw and to protect um, protection for the elbow and the wrist that they do with rules when you're young and then you kind of reach that 13 14 and they those sort of things start being allowed so that's a time where you kind of weed out a lot of players who are going to continue to pursue that because um, the pitching starts getting more complex. And so I didn't really get to get to that space in my young career because we we moved back to Australia. But it was um, I was doing all right there in my young career, just kind of following all the right steps that would have I could have hopefully kept pursuing. And did you ever did you try and play in Australia? Because obviously in Sydney it's not the the biggest sport you can play. I know Riverview now has a baseball team, but did you try and play at all or did you try other sports instead? I mean, if Riverview had a baseball team when I had moved back, I almost certainly would have played it. But it was kind of, I was 12, 13, and it was kind of a crossroads. You didn't realise you were at a crossroads. And Yeah. And what, um, what got you interested in basketball? Was it watching the NBA or was it just something you play with your mates, what really got you into the sport? Uh, when you, you said you started playing when you were 15, 16, so you would have been year 10, year 9 yeah. at the time? The extent of my basketball experience at that point was stuff in the, the yeah. schoolyard. Yeah, third yard, playing, playing a bit of basketball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um, basketball, like a lot of sports, is, um, you can tell people who don't play yeah. <laughs> I was in that space. Yeah. It was so year nine. I was it was summer sports selections, and I was thinking about swapping to basketball because I was getting fairly tall. And I had a dream where I was on the West Indian cricket team. Okay. And I woke up and I was fourteen, fifteen, and I was like, I have to. So that's I have to pursue, keep going with cricket, and yeah, that's it. I've been told it's divine (laughs) intervention. I've had a premonition, whatever the logic was, it was, 
completely errant. And um, so I gave cricket a go for another year and I moved up from the, uh, would have been the for the 15, so 14 Ds into the 15 Cs oh, okay. because most kids were playing basketball so they didn't have enough yeah. to fill four cricket teams. So I stayed in the bottom cricket team, <laughs> just moved up a level. But, yeah, that year 10 came around and I was even taller still and even if I was a dummy the year before, I wasn't going to let anything fool me then. I, I was going to give it a crack. Yeah, I had David Wales as my uh, my first Wales-y. basketball coach, and we've caught up since. And he tells his kids he's taught me everything, and I <laughs> I, tell, I, I tell them he has. And um, classic. Like any sport, there's steps that you follow to get through the ranks. And yeah, it, fortunately, I was quite tall, and I think having played a lot of sports before then helped with coordination and yeah. Just I was able to kind of the the ranks came quite quickly by token of luck, really. Did you find the actual skill aspect hard to grasp at the start, or were you a a natural with dribbling, shooting, um, and every kind of aspect that comes with playing the game of basketball? Oh, um, oh, well, I'll go work out tomorrow, and I'm still still working on the shooting and the dribbling (laughs) stuff. So it's um, fair enough. (laughs) The stuff that came naturally was. Um, I could jump quite high, which was nice for someone who was already tall. And then just a nose for the ball, which I couldn't tell you where that came from, whether that was soccer or baseball or you just born with it. But, yeah, I could rebound and block shots kind of before I could do anything else. Basketball is, um, especially with big guys, coaches will see that and they'll use uh, words like raw and if they can see some semblance of coordination and skills to go with size and athleticism, they'll know they can teach you the other stuff like shooting and dribbling, but kind of the ugly stuff like rebounding and protecting the rim, if that's already there, that helps them a lot. Yeah. Did you have a moment where you kind of realized that, oh, you're actually, you know, pretty good at this sport and you might be able to, you know, go on and play at St. Mary's for four years or was it yeah, someone else kind of gave you that advice? Not a moment where I go, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, but I got <laughs> to six foot eight and yeah. I got in the car. Don't know where I'd been, but I'd just been measured and I got in the car and I told my mum, I'm six foot eight. This is how tall LeBron James is. So I yeah. may as well stick with this and try <laughs> and go to the NBA. And it was mostly tongue in cheek, but it was kind of a, you know, you're this tall, you may as well stick around and go. And I, I was carrying a basketball under my arm at school at that point. And yeah. Third yard lunch and recess out there the whole time going super sweaty in my school uniform back to the next period. <laughs> so I was really enjoying it. And um, even going to St. Mary's, that came kind of a surprise that that was even an option up yeah. until the last moment. So not really a, a moment where... I've thought, hey, this is something I could really give a crack because it's it has kind of happened quite quite quickly, which I'm very very fortunate it has. And there's been a lot of people who've believed in me along the way, which um, it was pre- definitely essential. Well, I was going to ask, how does the scouting process work for someone playing in Australia? I, do you go to a camp, or does other scouts coming to Australia to watch you? How does that process work? So. I can only really speak to my particular journey, but I yeah. did that first year um, in the 16Bs 
at, um, that was my first year of basketball at Riverview. Coaches of firsts and seconds at that time were running a basketball camp at Riverview. Yeah. And mum asked if I wanted to do it, and I was full obsessed with basketball. I was like, yes, great, that's, that's awesome. I hadn't done a summer camp since I was maybe 11 years old. And I go to this camp, I'm just shy of six foot eight, and every other kid is like 10 years old, 10, 11 years old at yeah. this basketball camp. <laughs> so I've never had issues with uh, shame or things like that. No, I was just excited I was going to be there learning basketball. And, yeah. And the first, I was there with, um, there was one other kid who was in my year who was there and he was tall as well. So the first and seconds coach kind of, they gave us special attention because we were older than the yeah, older than the rest of the kids and um, had kind of a more direct bearing on their, their jobs as the first and seconds coach. Yeah. Um, basically, the his name was uh, Josh Chapman and he he works at Shaw now, but he was, um, okay. he told me something to the effect of if you don't try out for the firsts next season, I'm going to shove, this is to me and the other guy, I'll put my um, foot up your bum and walk around with like you guys' shoes. Oh, um, which was, which was great. I did, that kind of motivated you. I, I've <laughs> had mostly moments of um, people telling me I can go do stuff and I'm more just happy to be there and work yeah. hard and, then they say, you can try out for the first. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that was the, the next step. So whether that's naivete, uh, who knows. But yeah, um, I tried out for the first and I made it. And yeah. I wasn't good enough to be on the first. Um, and about halfway through the year, there was a guy who was in year 12 and he'd started in the thirds and he moved up to the seconds and he was a good player. Yeah. And it was his last year and at the time probably a better player than me and he moved up to the first and I moved down to the seconds, which was um, – Was that your decision blessed. or was that a coaching decision? No, no, no. That was a coaching. Oh, okay. I wouldn't um, – you've got to fake it till you make it, man. If you're there, you just pretend you've got to keep your spot. <laughs> um, but so I, I got moved down, which was a blessing. My All my mates were in that team in the seconds yeah. from my year. Yeah. And we had a really good run in the seconds, and we, um, we, I think, yes. were one game shy of winning the seconds. But it was a lot more fun. And a coach from a... North named Shant Ashtian, so he yeah. was um, a coach for the representative team at North, and he thought he was Coach Carter, and he showed up <laughs> to the view, and he saw me, and I was there after training, shooting around, and he told me to come and train come to the trials for the for the upcoming rep season i made some lame excuse like i don't have the five bucks needed to we just not uh, interested or probably just scared like didn't back myself at all to yeah i went and i trialed for that rep team i was in the second division had a great year and got to be kind of the man on that team which has was really important in my development getting to kind of go out there and be the most important player, have things run for you. When things revolve around you, you get to kind of discover how you play and take chances and yeah. um, not really worry about um, whether you're doing harm by the team because you're doing more more good, I suppose. But the next year I was on the first for review and um, then made the, the first division for Norths and that was two similar situations where I was um, – the, the key piece of the team and that just helps yeah. you grow a lot 
And then you made the GPS team as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, from that review season, that was with Chapo on that first team, and we had a great team. We just couldn't really put it together for a myriad of reasons, but we won the Rashki Cup, and um, I made the GPS team and then into the CIS team. And um, Robbie McKinlay was my North coach who works down at the AIS now with the NBA Academy, and he was paramount in my development at that time. And I nearly made the under-18s New South State team. And when I didn't quite make it, I was the last emergence, the, the last reserve. That was, you asked about whether I had a moment where I was like, oh, I should pursue it. That was kind of the opposite moment of... Oh, really? Maybe I... Maybe you're not like good I'm, enough. I'm having a good time, but I've kind of reached my... Yeah. My ceiling for this. But yeah, from that North season with Robbie McKinlay... There was um, kind of a burgeoning community in Australia of watching youth basketball and trying to create a platform for it akin to ESPN in the United States where they have top 100 high school players from when they're 10 years old rankings. Yeah. Well, Um, it's become such a culture over there with um, all the the Nike and all those brands do all those tournaments for high school players, right? And it's, it's... Big money and Australia will be light years behind them forever. Yeah, of course. Um, But through that, I was kind of on the radar of two people at that same time. One was Adam Caporn, who was the head coach of the AIS at the time. And the other was a guy called Marty Clark, who was the assistant coach of St. Mary's. And he had worked at the AIS for years. So he was an Aussie guy coaching over there. And so up until that point, I'd been having a lot of fun with um, with Riverview and with Norths, and then I kind of had that setback of the, the state team prior yeah. to that North season. I had every name of all the kids that made it, and um, <laughs> we, when we played them in that representative season, we made sure we didn't um, – we didn't lose. We didn't have any state players, and we didn't lose a game in that representative oh, wow. um, season or year. So from that came the attention of the AIS and uh, and St Mary's, and just yeah. kind of started talking from there. And I was fortunate with um, Adam Caporn believed in me a great deal, and I was able to make uh, the Australian Oceania team to qualify for the World Championships. Yeah, and I hadn't played for um, my New South Wales team yet. Wow, so you made the the step up straight to the Nationals, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. And did you end up you end up representing Australia at those World Championships? Yeah, so we um, qualified in Fiji and yeah. then went to Greece and had pre-worlds through Spain and Croatia and it was like one of the most amazing three weeks of my life and we Yeah, I can imagine. We um, went to Worlds and so yeah, pretty pretty insane experience. And then from there, I'd already had um, I'd I'd signed with St Mary's by the time we did the qualifiers in Fiji. Fantastic. And then you ended up starting at St Mary's, ended up uh, playing there for four years. But I understand over your first three years, it was a bit hard to get playing time. Was that because it was quite a competitive team, or just because you were still a young player at the time? Yeah, akin to when I wasn't good enough to be on the firsts, I wasn't good enough to be on the court there at the start. There was um, a great, the starting centre was Danny Pinot, and he's a great player for the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix now. And uh, uh, when he graduated, 
the starting center was a guy called Jock Landale, and he plays. He's played for the Boomers recently, and he plays yeah. over in the Euro League. And so you could say it was kind of just kind of bad timing for me to show up. I was going to be behind those great players, but you learn so much being behind those guys. Um, that's not saying it was easy. There was times where I'd lost a lot of love for the game that I'd kind of fostered in yeah. high school and through Norths, and it was. Yeah, not it wasn't a lot of fun not playing at all. And did you reach out to Matthew Delavadova at all? Because I understand he also attended St Mary's. Yeah, Delhi fortunately for him had a, a kind of a different career than I did at the yeah. at St Mary's, but he was around a fair bit and he was a lot of help. And you, um, I was fortunate there was a lot of Australians on the team, and you really there's a lot of good camaraderie that comes of that and that becomes your, your support system over there with your family back in Australia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were, there were times where I wanted to call it a day and go home. And I wasn't, I wasn't even sure up until when I signed with, um, Sydney, whether I was going to even pursue professional basketball afterwards. So it was my senior year was, it was awesome. And I got to play a lot and we had a really good run, but I want to talk about that senior year because, um, as you guys said, you guys did go on a very impressive run. You were just, I believe, before the West Coast Conference Championships, you were just on the cusp of playing in March Madness, but you mm. weren't really sure if you guys were going to play at that point. Is that correct? It's um, a finicky one because it's decided by a panel of yeah. folks based on how hard your schedule was, who you had good wins against, almost more importantly, who, if you lost to any teams, you shouldn't have lost to. Yeah. And the consensus was we probably won't be in the tournament, but only just, which is, is not much worse. And then, and, um, and then you entered yeah. the West Coast Conference uh, final playing against... The number one team in the country, yeah. Um, yeah. who had only lost two games all season, yeah. uh, playing and against Rui Hachimura, who eventually gets drafted ninth overall, and they'd just beaten you by 48 points in February. Yeah. What, what was it like going into that final? Did you guys, was was there just a lot of doubt, or was it, you know, this, this might be the last game of my college career, I might as well, you know, put 110% in and just go for it? Yeah, it's funny. I hadn't really thought of it like it was because we knew we'd be in a thing called the NIT. Yeah, which is um, which is the second second tournament, right? Yeah, and it has yeah. affectionate names like the not in tournament or the yeah. not important tournament. Yeah. Um, the funny thing about the that game the, at the West Coast Conference tournament. So, if you win your tournament, you're automatically in. Yeah. March which, Madness, which I think is awesome. Know, I yeah. think that that should be adopted in every sport in America. There's such a problem at the moment. Sorry, going a little bit off topic. But there's such a, pro- a problem at the moment with uh, college football and the way those players yeah. work because it's literally all decided by that panel. Uh, but with basketball, you know, if you win your conference, you're the best team in that conference. You deserve a spot uh, yeah. in March Madness. But, uh, and that's that's why that March Madness is in, held, held in such high esteem because yeah. it's such a road to get there. Yeah, and exactly. The stakes are so high. You win or you you go home. But the you play each team in your conference twice, home and away, during the course of the year. And the first game we had against Gonzaga, where we lost in maybe the first three minutes of the game. Yeah. And it's hard to play up there. The student section is... Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? Hurling 
abuse at you and yeah. they've done their research and it's what's it like taking a what's it like standing at the free throw line when you're trying to make a shot and there's what 5,000 people behind shouting yeah. at you I mean you can't, I can't hit a free throw at the best of time <laughs> so it's, it's um, definitely makes it more challenging but we lost that game by 48 points and up until that point in my career I hadn't had a worse loss than that one up at Gonzaga and there was just you can feel like kind of there's nothing to take away from it but I was in the office the next day and I I was speaking with uh, one of our assistants and I was telling him like I think we're we're handling these on balls um incorrectly and if I can get um really boring for a second with X's and O's the Gonzaga for quite a while has run a too big too um too big scheme yeah and, um, well they had the best front court in the country that year right yeah so their yeah. other guy Rui Hachimura was a handful but I think Brandon Clark the center was the most unguardable player I've ever played against and he did the same move every time he caught a down low he just jumped up over his left shoulder and shot a right hand hook but could yeah jump three foot off the ground so they would set a low pick and roll kind of around that elbow area and our scheme would want us up on to guard the ball so the guard can get through the screen and we we guard the guard for a moment and then we cover to our big but brandon clark setting these screens turning around and he's jumping almost off one step and they're just lobbing the ball up and i'm standing there like an idiot in the middle of the key yeah while he's um dunking behind me so i was in the office after that 48 point loss and i said i think we're handling these pick and rolls wrong it works for every every team we've played against so far but when they can jump out of the gym him and hachimura like this we can't we can't let them get behind us for even a step because yeah. they've got us by them, that point. So the next time we played him um, was at home. and yeah. That was only um, 15 points, I think. That loss. Yeah, so, yeah, and we were, we were right in it towards the end and I missed a shot and then I did two turnovers in a row and I kind of, oh. we kind of let the game get away from us and it was, it's hard to get back once they get rolling. And I, I won't shoulder the entire loss. Like there was, <laughs> there's other components to it, but... But as a senior, um, as a senior, you must feel like as a leader in the team, you must feel a little bit responsible when you lose a close game like that. Yeah, and I was right on the on-ball coverage, and it was working, and it was um, we had him, and we just kind of let it get away. But from that, I remember my mum said as well afterwards, like we, you kind of we kind of figured him out, like we knew what we were gonna. We knew we were going to see him again in the, the conference finals and however long it was, and we'd found a game plan that if we execute, we can probably get a win here. And, um, yeah, so we got to that game, and we knew they're such a good fast-break team, so if you don't yeah. take care of the ball, they're down the other end for an easy two points. Well, so you had a you had an early turnover um, against Hachimura, I think, in the first couple of minutes. Yeah, someone threw a pass to me at the top, and he yeah, and he stole it. He, yeah, he jumped the lane, and he took it down the other end. And we knew that that was not going to be our way to win, as if we gave them easy points. And we Hachimura is a great player, but he's um, he went up for an alley oop in the first quarter, and I fouled him really hard, and he landed on his bum, and he didn't. I didn't have to worry about him for the next half an hour. Oh really. If I could just take care of Brandon Clark and make it tough on him and don't let him catch too deep and don't let him get behind my head, I thought I would be able to handle him. Well, that man, that last 10 minutes um, was just incredible to watch. I mean, you had, you had a block, 
Then you had uh, one of your guards put up a shot. You got the rebound from the shot and whilst in midair, put the ball back in and then went to the line as well. That must have just been not just an incredible feeling, but kind of the belief that you guys were finally playing well and that you could upset this amazing team, which, you know, would uh, end up playing in the tournament as well. Yeah, um, we um, we didn't really, in the moment, know if we had won until that buzzer went. It, it was yeah. hard to kind of process while it was happening. And as a team, we actually watched it the night after as, <laughs> together because no one could really remember what had happened. Yeah. So we kind of <laughs> had to go back through and watch it all. And yeah, I mean, the coverage of it afterwards was all like we pulled off some some great upset, but we from that 48 point loss to the 15 point loss, we kind of knew going in, we could, we could get them and we had the advantage of playing them twice and they were the number one team, but yeah, we kind of, we kind of knew going in one, we can beat them and two, we don't want to be in the NIT. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like? Um, obviously after that game, you guys getting the automatic bid, uh, moving on to the, the tournament, which would have been a week to two weeks later, uh, what was it like going into that tournament? Did you guys have any belief that you could win a couple of games, many up, maybe upset a team or two, or were yeah, you guys I mean, just happy to be there? Yeah, our logic was we just beaten the best team in the country, yeah. so we should be able to we should be able to do whatever we want in the tournament. And um, yeah, I don't know. We we that first round we played against Villanova, and I don't think both teams were particularly ready to play, and yeah. they ended up winning by four, I think. Yeah, maybe we had kind of our moment the two weeks before and we weren't dialed in, but it was um, like we had every chance to win the game and we just didn't take it. And yeah, it's uh, that's how sport goes sometimes, <laughs> but we Go definitely from had the... a moment there before and whether we couldn't channel that into yeah. some positive results at the big show, who knows. But And do you guys end up watching the tournament all together and – watching the last couple of games in the final four or um, uh, back yeah. home by that point? Who won that year? Uh, last year. It was uh, Virginia last year. Yeah. Because they lost, they lost to the 16 seed the year before. Remember the yeah. biggest yeah. upset? Yeah, def- uh, we, we watched a lot of the games. It was, um, yeah, it's kind of weird when a season ends and like, we, we spent all that spring, we had such a good year together, we spent so much time together afterwards. So, yeah, there was a lot of watching games together, a lot of hanging out. And, but kind of once you finish, you you do kind of want to dust your hands of basketball a little bit and have a bit of a step back and not yeah. do it for a bit. Well, you're going, you're going, you know, pretty much full-time for four years, right? Even if you're not playing basketball, um, in terms of games, you guys are training in the off season um, and pretty much playing all year, right? You just need a a little bit of break from that. Did you have um, Did you have any idea of what you were going to do after? I mean, you you graduated with a degree, but did you have an idea of what you wanted? Did you want to pursue basketball, or um, were you looking for a job in the states? What were, What was your thinking? I'd had a good relationship with the Kings coaches and management. Every off season, I would go back and train with them. Oh, okay. And I think they, I got um, cozy with two of them, and both coach and GM got fired on two occasions while I was over at St Mary's, and yeah, 
Um, so by the time the current staff and ownership kind of took hold, it was a big point of emphasis to kind of make this a stable. All right, these guys are going to be here for three years. This is yeah. who we're going to be. But uh, I didn't know any, any of them. But um, I knew if I was going to play, I wanted to play for Sydney. Um, yeah. I was thinking whether I had – well, I had family in L.A. I was thinking whether I stay and – try and work in LA in the entertainment writing, whatever it was, just stay and try and break in there. Cause I was pretty tired at that point. Yeah. And, um, didn't know if it was what I wanted to pursue. Um, but I figured the basketball door closed quite loudly when you did close it. And, um, when the Kings called and they were interested in me and the head coach knew of me through my, he'd worked with the boomers and, Knew through Adam Capon and a guy called Andre Lamanis, who was the Boomers coach at the time. Yeah. I had taken me on a tour my sophomore year of China with a couple of other young Australians. Oh, wow. Um, so he knew of me through them, and I was on their radar, and which, again, I didn't know, and it was being presented to me. and um, It was kind of a no-brainer when it was put on the table, and I'm really glad I did because I had a great, great first year with him and learned a lot and would have been asking what if if I hadn't gone for it. Exactly, and um, you know, pretty you guys have, did pretty well the first season. But you're playing with a a guy Andrew Bogut, who's played in the you know number one pick. He's played in the NBA for you know ten plus years. Uh, yeah. What's it What's it like going up against him every day in training? Is it just an absolute incredibly difficult, or you are you learning a lot from him? I just want to get your take on what he's like as a person it's um yeah it wasn't easy he's pretty good <laughs> at basketball yeah. and um reiterate as you're finishing your degree over there you learn more in the first four weeks on a job than you do in yeah. your four-year degree and that was no different going into the professional basketball environment and i spent that first month just him blocking every layup <laughs> i took and like I come over pretty confident from my how my college career had ended up, and it was just yeah. a whole new ball game. But yeah, just playing against him, you start learning, learning little tricks to get around him, and he still gets has your number most of the time. But um, playing against him and another guy, Dan Kickett, who I um, played a lot of the, he was usually on the um, opposing side during training, so I played him a lot, and you just yeah. would learn so much just from playing against them and get so much better, and. Um, at the same time, they were so willing off the court to talk X's and O's and just about anything, and, and um, it was huge help, both of them. And do you find that Luke Longley is also that kind of guy you can learn from? Obviously, having an amazing um, career in the NBA as well. Do you do you seek advice from him as well? Yeah, he. Um, I didn't know he was going to be with the organization when I signed and I got there and that was on the radar. I, I thought it was a, thought it was a joke to be honest, but um, <laughs> sure enough, he was there. And I, I say, I've said to him a few times, we'll work out for 20 minutes and chat for 10 minutes after. And I tell him that was more, I got more out of that just then than a whole year of college. Do you ask him, um, do you ask him about MJ at all? Or is he a bit quiet about that? that um, well, he was, you can Google him now and see how quiet he was. In the <laughs> um, I think it was, there's a, for a lot of the players involved in that, especially with, um, I think there was a bit of surprise at how much of an MJ puff piece it was kind of going to be. 
Yeah. Well, there's been a, um, a little bit of backlash from some of the players he played with. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I, maybe for a lot of them, it's tough watching your life story on TV and realizing you're not the main character. Yeah, in your own story, and um, but I know for Luke in particular, he um, uh, would much prefer not to be in the limelight. And at points in the documentary, you would start to wonder whether he was even on the team. And I thought that was a bit slack with how they how they represented him as when he was such a key component of those teams. Yeah. Well, I but think he was, I think that's he was exactly mentioned. what he would have wanted just to kind of be in the background and not made a fuss of. Yeah. Well, that's, that's completely fair. And obviously you guys had a, a, pr- a pretty good season. I would say um, you, you started off pretty well. And um, unfortunately the, the season was cut short um, as it was for most uh, sports across the world. Uh, what was it like going into the, the finals did you guys was there any anticipation that the series would be cancelled or was uh did you guys think that you know you could you could maybe play out the series and hopefully get it done in time yeah so as uh, we got into the finals it was definitely the first round was a bit of a slog for us but we learned a lot as a team and we knew we were on a good day the best team in the league and um but as we started going through that finals and the COVID stuff started ramping up, I remember I was in the car with a couple of my teammates. We'd had um, we'd gotten to Perth a day early and we'd gone to the beach, and yeah. um, we were driving home. And coronavirus, it wasn't it wasn't being taken seriously in Australia just yet. <laughs> There's an and, argument um, that it still hasn't been taken seriously, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember my dad called me, and he's he's a doctor, so he's um, working in the hospital and yeah, all over this stuff. And he told me to just to make sure we got in our plane, got home, basically saying that someone's going to close the borders soon, yeah. and you don't want to be stuck over there. No, you don't. <laughs> we ended up playing that Perth game with a limited crowd, and it was kind of – we went back and we lost that Sydney game. And we, I'm struggling to work out the order of it all, really. But we played two empty stadium games. Yeah. And we were down 2-1 in the series. And we were kind of facing this situation where we had players that were from countries where it was getting serious. Mm-hmm. Did you have any American players? Three. Three, yeah. Right. Okay. And one German yeah. And a uh, German coach, sorry. And we were kind of faced with a situation of, all right, we're not going to have our full team for the rest of the series. We shouldn't be flying. Yeah. We shouldn't be playing games when we don't know that Perth had been on a flight with a coronavirus patient. Oh, and really? Wow. There was like they weren't close enough, so they weren't tested. It was all just a bit like, yeah. are we really doing right by everyone by flying around and playing in stadiums and staying in hotels the whole nine yards? Is it, would we have definitely gotten coronavirus if we kept playing? Who knows? But yeah. we knew we had some had, had to have some semblance of social and public good to not try and be above everyone else we were like one of three sports leagues in the world still going at the time yeah 
so we called it off and it wasn't without a heavy heart but we kind of knew what we were supposed to do and had to do and yeah the borders would have closed before the series ended in hindsight anyways and probably would have been decided for us but but was there um, was there a feeling that you guys could have just ended on a draw, or did that did they have to did someone have to be declared the winner of the series? Um, our coach put it pretty well in a the press conference where we announced this, and someone asked the same yeah. same question: "Do you what about the outcome of the series?" And he goes, uh, "Really, we we don't particularly care." Yeah. It's more and about we, the we made that decision knowing that we'll put the onus on the league to now have to make that decision. And there's, we were down two one. There's not going to be a situation where we prevail. We knew the league was hiding behind a government that was reticent to do anything at that point, as people can probably imagine watching um, ScoMo and Telly every night. And yeah, so did it need to be Perth winning? No, but at the end of the day, it was there was going to be outcry either way. And yeah. It's, um, and you guys were, and as you as you said, you guys were happy, and you kind of you'd made your decision to leave it up to the the governing body to make um, yeah, yeah. a decision for you. Really, well, yeah. Well, I guess you can't you can't really do anything about it now, but um, no, always no. always next season if hopefully uh, basketball is able to return, and you know you guys are able to pick up from where you left off. We hope so. We. We're first on the table for the entire season, so we had a great. I don't think it's ever happened before. I think that's the first yeah, time. Yeah, we'd had a we'd had a great run, and we were unhappy not to finish that with a championship. Yeah, but it, it leaves room for this program to grow, and it was an amazing first year for largely new team, new coaches, new ownership, new general manager. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of turnover for it all to click on that first year, and. Hopefully we can ride that into next season, whatever that looks like. We're seeing the NRL and AFL and their respective experiments and the NBA trying their best to relaunch. And unfortunately, the NBL doesn't have a TV rights deal, so we need a crowd (laughs) to be viable. Yeah. Well, did you see the, the proposal that got put out today? They're voting on it tomorrow for the NBA season to return. Yeah, yeah, I did, and um, yeah, I mean, the US is another can of worms. We can do that <laughs> another podcast, but yeah. we'll see how we'll see how that goes. I don't know if the NBL can really take many cues from that because they're not really functioning with the same deep pockets. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. We'll see what happens? Speaking more about the future of the NBL, um, the last couple of years, not not the last couple of years, but the last year in general has been, besides you know the coronavirus and ending the season early. It's actually been quite a good year for the sport. We've had emerging talent um, deciding not to play college um, and deciding to head down here and play instead in RJ Hampton and Lamelo Ball. Have you? Did you get a chance at all to meet these blokes or play against them, or was it just kind of watching we, them on TV? We played against them a few times. So yeah, I've met them only briefly. They did a lot of good for the league and put the league on the map in a big way, which was good. Do you see the trend continuing of players deciding to forego college and come down here instead? I hope so. I I think the players that were in consideration for those roles 
Um, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, basically said he was his his words were jealous of the NBL <laughs> because of our Next Stars program, and he set up a five hundred thousand dollar equivalent in the G League. Yeah, and the NBL just would not be able to compete with that. Yeah, unfortunately. And so some of the guys that were in consideration have actually joined on with that. But it's almost like doing a gap year for them, really, going to yeah, being able to yeah. spend and a year of their life in another country. I know the G League isn't um, super super extravagant as far as quality of life goes. Yeah. Um, the Next Stars program will continue for the NBL, and hopefully uh, our Next Star, who's um, actually a draft and stash of the Pelicans, DD, comes back. Yeah. And, yeah, hopefully we get some more more great talent. I, I don't know if it'll be of the Kardashian level that it was with LaMelo. But <laughs> well, is it is, it's a great program. Is it true that he's trying to buy the – Illawarra Hawks at the moment, or he's okay. bought them. I'm neither here nor there on that. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if he'll have any money in the pot or not. But yeah. he's. Um, I know he's being considered for that. For that role, and whether that's symbolic or he's actually buying the team, it, it'll be somewhere on that spectrum. But he's definitely been brought up. Yeah, as they enter into liquidation. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And also the big event uh, that also happened uh, last year was obviously the Australia vs USA in mm. Melbourne, which was a success um, in terms of the uh, TV deals and the amount of popularity that got around it. But people weren't people weren't too happy with the the seating arrangements um, at Etihad Stadium. Did you get a chance yeah. to go down and watch that game, or were you somewhere else? Um, I was at home. I didn't go down. I didn't go yeah. down. I, I was um, all over it. And um, I don't know who who has to fall on the sword there for putting <laughs> a thousand rows of chairs at the same level. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't, that wasn't their flashiest idea. But it was <laughs> awesome for the sport to have um, that young American talent out here playing against our boomers. And yeah. hopefully that fosters a – a long-standing relationship where they do that and they do it in a more viable manner. Um, I know people enjoyed the USA-Canada game a great deal at Kudos Bank where we play our home games. Yeah. Well, there was the um, the Robin Lopez chance was the big, the big thing from that game, yeah. which is pretty incredible. If he ever gets the chance to come down here and maybe finish the twilight of his career playing for the Kings, that'd be a pretty incredible thing. He's definitely a bit of a cult figure over in the States as well. So <laughs> it, was, it was good for him to feel the love down here. He's a great player. Jordan, that's all we've got time for on the podcast today. Um, thank you very much for giving up your time and joining us. Um, I hope you're well and hopefully you can get back to playing basketball as soon as possible. Mate, thank you so much for for giving me a ring and it was um, awesome to chat and I hope the podcast keeps growing and growing and you're staying safe yourself. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to the JC Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to be notified of future episodes, head over to either one of our social media platforms. Mm-hmm.